Well, I see a lot of red, and red is the predominant color today. Green had it last weekend, I think, but red, we've got them today. Eric and I did not talk before service to talk what color we're going to wear, but we matched up pretty well. We'd be great for a picture right now. But Christmas has become so commercialized in our culture, hasn't it? It's amazing how much of that has gotten blurred. The real message have been, has been blurred, and that confusion about the reason for Christmas has also been exported. I read recently that there was a department store in Japan, one of the largest department stores in that country, showing a Christmas display, or their understanding of it. They had a, a statue, or there a picture of uh, Santa Claus holding a baby Jesus. <laughs> so they're doing okay so far. In a sleigh that was being pulled by the seven dwarfs. Now, there's, they're way, way off base. They've kind of lost it there someplace. But one of the ways that we in our culture express our love of Christmas is that we decorate our homes. And one of the things my wife Carol and I love to do during the season, and when our kids were young, we took them with us, is to drive around and look at the beautiful decorations. If you have not gone into Brook Forest subdivision just west of us on 31st Street and seen that house, you cannot miss it. I mean, I think the uh, Commonwealth Edison nuclear reactors turn on every time that that house is lit up. I encourage you to do that. It's fun to do that. One of the things I've seen recently looking at Christmas decorations that really struck my heart was a manger scene, which you see in a lot of different places. But this particular one, there was Santa Claus kneeling down and worshiping the baby Jesus. That's a lot closer to the real message of Christmas, isn't it? Our scripture passage today says that the real reason Jesus left heaven and came to this earth, became Emmanuel, God on this earth, was to save his people from their sins. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, the scriptures reveal that the shepherds were awakened on that glorious night. And the message that the angels brought to the shepherds was that they have good news of great joy for all people. You see, Jesus came not to light up yards and light up houses, and we decorate as much as anybody. So we're, we're guilty but also blessed to be doing that. But he came to light up lives, to lighten up the load that so many people carry of guilt and shame and senselessness and meaninglessness and hopelessness. He came as the light of the world to bring good news. Do you like good news? Do you hear much of it at the 6 o'clock hour or the 10 o'clock hour when you watch TV? I don't hear much good news coming out of the television or on the radio. You think there's any excess in our culture and your life or your family of too much joy going on? I don't think so. I know a lot of pain. I know people are living in sadness and darkness. But Jesus Christ came to this earth bringing a message of good news, of great, overwhelming, life-stirring, life-altering joy. And it wasn't to be an exclusive club. This message that the angels proclaimed about Jesus is for all people, and that includes you and I today. Stuart Briscoe captured it so well, and I quote him here, the spirit of Christmas needs to be superseded by the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christmas is annual. The spirit of Christ is eternal. The spirit of Christmas is sentimental, the spirit of Christ is supernatural. The spirit of Christmas is a human product. The spirit of Christ is a divine person. And friends, that divine person makes all the difference in the world. As Chelsea shared that one solitary life, he's changed the course of human history. But when he comes into our lives, 
when we allow him to be king in our lives, lord over our lives, and embrace him as, as savior, he changes the course of our lives. No matter where we have gone off the trail, no matter how far out that we have wandered from him or from the things of God, when he is allowed in, he changes the course of our lives, and that is forever. It's been said that if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, which it seems to be for so many, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need actually is forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. And I love the way the Christmas Vesters in the Orthodox liturgy captured it. It says this, a marvelous wonder has this day come to pass. Nature is made new and God becomes man. The word put on a body, the invisible is seen. He whom no hand can touch is handled. And he who has no beginning now begins to be. And as few could ever say these words, former astronaut James Irwin once said, there's something more important than man walking on the moon, and that is God walking on the earth. God is holding out to the entire human race. Since he came in the incarnation of Christ and Jesus grew up and lived out a perfect life on our behalf, died a sacrificial death again on our behalf, was raised again to give us hope. He's been holding out to the human race for 19 plus centuries an offer of forgiveness, an offer of eternal life that is so amazing, that is so generous, so magnanimous of him that it amazes me even to this day. He came to me in 1976, interrupted my life, which was going a million miles an hour in the wrong direction. I wasn't following him. I wasn't looking for him, but in his mercy, he interrupted me tapped me on the shoulder, really slapped me upside the head more so, and awakened me to the reality of the way that I was living wasn't the right way. I knew in my heart, as an 18-year-old young man, something was missing. I knew I was not fulfilled in what I was doing and how I was living. And God, in his great mercy, awoke me from the slumber and introduced himself to me. What a glorious reality is that because Jesus came and set foot on this earth, my life and your lives have been transformed in the process. But making that offer to us for all these centuries, we've been talking about expectations, and expect has been our theme over these recent weeks of Advent. We're expecting Christmas. We're expecting some of us getting gifts. Some of us are looking forward to find out what's wrapped in those presents. But if we can be honest, my wife and I, we pretty much tell each other what we want, and then we either buy it ourselves, and then I'll wrap it, and she'll wrap it. We already know what's there, right? No surprises, maybe a little surprise here and there. We know what we're expecting, or we think we know, but my friends, what does God expect? What does he expect from us in response to a gift so precious, so amazing? He laid him, himself completely down for us, made himself entirely vulnerable, coming into this world as an infant child, becoming one of us. What more could he possibly have done? Well, friends, I want to talk about what he does expect. We see in our story today from the scriptures how Mary and Joseph responded 
to God's invitation to them. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. But the fact is, the whole human race, not just Rick Lyman was going the wrong way, not just other notable people that we see the Paul, the apostle interrupted by God, but every one of us has gone astray. There aren't some humans that are somehow good enough to make it into heaven on their own. Jesus came to save how many people? All people. This message is good news of great joy for everybody. We're all equally in need of his grace, all equally in need of Jesus Christ to be our Savior and to be our Lord. But amazingly, in God's way of thinking, which is very different than ours, he wants everyone to know Jesus personally. But he entered the world in a very unique and secret way, only known to a few. The real wonder of Christmas to me is that it's a secret to so many, but only known to those who open their hearts to him. When we open our hearts to him and genuinely say, God, I need to know you, I want you, I I don't understand all the details here, but I need you, in those moments of humility and openness, the real wonder of Christmas comes to life. As I said a moment ago, Jesus coming to this earth began the process of reversing the course of human history. But again, when he comes into our lives, he reverses, and better said, he erases the negative history. That's the message of forgiveness. If we're dragging along 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of emotional, spiritual baggage with us today, the great news of Christ's coming is that we can put all of that under the cross of Jesus and start afresh today. The scriptures tell us that Jesus came into this world not to condemn it. God did not come down here to yell at us. He didn't come and take a human form so he could point out how flawed we are, how bad we are, all the stuff that's wrong with us. The reality is that most of us sitting around this sanctuary place where we're meeting today already know the stuff that's wrong with us. We already know how flawed we are. We already know how flawed our spouses and friends and family and everybody that we know are. It's a reality. We're all in the same condition. So Jesus didn't come to condemn us. The scripture says he came to save us. To do something about what's wrong with us. And not just to forgive it, the past, though he does that, but it's to begin a work of transformation in us so we won't be so flawed anymore. In fact, the scripture says he who began a good work in us by his spirit's work will complete it. He is transforming us into the image of Jesus. And that process starts the minute we give Jesus the reins. We give him the steering wheel of our life. And we say, Jesus, I've made a mess of this. I don't know what to do about it anymore. Can you please come in and help me? And at a moment's notice, he'll do it just like that for you. I know there may be some people you know, or maybe some even here today, that feel like you're beyond help. You're beyond repair. Things are so messed up, you can't even even figure out which way is up anymore. But let me encourage you. That's exactly what Jesus is really, really good at. Saving, helping, transforming, and renewing people that are really messed up. That's who he is. He made us. He loves us. He wants to save us from our sins. And God came to be with us. This is the most amazing message of Christmas. He came to be with us because he wants to be with us. He wanted to be down here with us. Rebellious group of people. A bunch of people that thumbed our noses at him. 
race of people that has turned their back on him, but he made the choice to come from heaven to earth because he wanted to. Now, would you leave heaven to come to earth for you? I wouldn't. I'm not that good. I'll be honest. I wouldn't have left heaven, but God did. The scripture says he does everything in exact accordance with his will. In other words, nobody talks God into or out of anything. He does what's in his heart. And when his heart was moved with compassion for the likes of you and me and everyone else we know, he took off the glorious robes of heaven and came down and was born on this earth for us. It was compassion that moved him. In his book, A Gentle Thunder, Max Lucado gives a classic expression of this feeling. He says these words, and I quote, There are many reasons God saves you. To bring glory to himself, to be sure, to appease his justice, and to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he's fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart to live in. And the Christmas gift he sent to you in Bethlehem, face it, friends, he's crazy about you. Now today, because God is crazy about us, Jesus was born for us. He's a baby on a mission, a mission to redeem the world and to save God's people from their sins. He came at just the right time to make that happen. I love the way Chuck Swindoll captured that. He says, Christ was content with a stable when he was born so that we could have a mansion when we die. Let's take a little closer look now at the story of Mary and Joseph, how they responded to this tremendous invitation. Their lives were going a certain way. Something very seemingly sad and tragic had occurred. Mary had become pregnant. Mary and Joseph weren't married. That's a problem. That's a bigger problem then than it is now. This was a small community. Everybody knew everything. And there was no way that they could wiggle out of it. There was no way to get around it. And God asked them, he invited them to do some things that weren't easy choices, but Mary and Joseph both made the right choice with God's invitation. First, Mary says, yes, I am your servant. God, you want to impregnate me? I know my family might reject me. I know that the village will think there's something wrong with that terrible, sinful person. It would imply under the law of Moses that she could have risked her life because adultery or sexual activity outside of marriage was punishable by death under the law. She took that risk and said, no, I'll accept this. She didn't know how God was going to speak to Joseph or what he was going to do. But God spoke to Joseph separately. Joseph had a plan in his mind. He thought this whole thing through. He was going to get away from the situation, separate himself and his reputation to some degree from this, saying, I wasn't, it wasn't me but do it gently and gracefully and divorce his wife. They were in betrothed, which is a form of what we would call more than just being his fiance. They were already set to be married. And he had a plan. He thought it through. It was a good plan to him. And God said, I want you to change your plans. 
because Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Why, Joseph was a man of great faith to believe that as much as Mary was. Neither of those two expected how God might approach them or when. It just happened to them. When we're introduced to God personally, it's oftentimes at times we're not expecting it. He may be knocking on the door of some hearts even in this space right now. He may be approaching you in a way that you don't even know what's going on, but when he comes, be sure of this. He'll offer you an invitation to follow him and to let you in. They both did. But friends, how do we in our lives, how we as a culture, how are we as a church responding to God's invitation? I mean the church of Jesus Christ, uh, the church of Jesus Christ in general, not just Christ Church. But how do we respond? Well, I think I fear there are some ways we respond that aren't appropriate to be like Mary and Joseph. The first way we do that is to say, thanks, but no thanks. I'll make my own way to heaven. I can do it. I'll do enough good things. I'll make my way back. I'll find the way. I want to share a little story that illustrates how futile that really is. Some years back, my brother, who's also a pastor, and he pastors in Westmont, and I was living in the city. He had a little cat. This cat became like a daughter to him, and I mean that in a positive way. Just totally emotionally bonded this animal. Wonderful little cat, more like a dog. That's why I thought it was an okay cat, too. It cuddled up to him. It came when he called. He'd whistle, and it would respond. You know, kind of one of those kind of cats. But he'd moved into the city to pastor a church, to pioneer a church in Lincoln Park, and being a city dweller, he lived on the 11th floor of a high-rise there. Just kind of, you could almost see the lake looking east from where he was at. And at a party in early December that year, invited a bunch of friends, including my wife and I, over. And, and one thing he said over and over as he invited guests into his home, he says, please don't open any windows. And we're like, well, why? Well, you know, the cat had grown up with, lived in a house, a ranch house over in Westmont, where my brother lived for years. And if it were to go out a window, it was like three feet down. In the high rise, it was many more feet, 11 stories down to the street level. So having repeated that to everybody, everybody seemingly being, very, seemingly being very cautious about that, party's over, everyone's leaving, everybody goes out the door, and the cat is nowhere to be found. Little Sydney had disappeared. Paul immediately rushed out into the hallway looking for the cat, hoping that she had just gotten out into his floor, the 11th floor, went back and forth, couldn't find her. Jumped in the elevator and went down, and his heart began to sink as that elevator went down, thinking, what's happened to his dear Sydney? Got to the door as a secured building, and there was a, a doorman there, and he asked, have you seen a cat come by here? Did, did it possibly go out? And he said, no, sorry, I haven't. He ran out into the street, expecting the worst, but saw nothing. And so, being somewhat heartbroken, but not giving up on little Sydney, Paul posted signs throughout the building, on his floor, in the elevator, in the lobby of the building, and went out on the streets seek, seeking after little Sydney, hoping against hope that somehow she had made it through the doorway with the chances of that were so slim that she'd gone down the elevator and gone out the door. Two long, terrible days passed, and Paul got a phone call. Someone had found Sydney under a car, alive. She had taken the short route out the window, gone down 11 floors, and survived. That's the lost condition of the human race. Little Sydney fell very hard. She was still alive, but there was no way she could make her way home. No way could a cat, even fully healthy, make her way through a secure door in a building, jump up and push the elevator door button, and just randomly jump up in the elevator and select the 11th floor. And even if she got there, got to the door of my brother's apartment with a deadlock in, and somehow worked the thing with her claws and get in. 
Sydney couldn't get home. She needed someone to come and save her. And Paul pictured Jesus to me in that story. He sought her out. He didn't give up. He went after her. And Sydney lived a long and healthy life after that with only minor injuries. By the way, cats can survive a fall from 11 stories down to two stories in that range with something called high-rise syndrome. If it had been one story higher, it would have been over. They can sometimes survive that, and she did. A second way that I think people miss the mark of what God's offering us through Christmas is to say something like, well, that's nice, but I want to choose my own God. That's nice that there's Christians over here, but I want to choose my own God. I want to choose my another way. All roads lead to heaven, don't they? Well, this little infant Jesus, when he grew up, we talk about the day of his birth today, but the day before he was to die, less than 24 hours before he'd be nailed to a cross, shared these words in his final conversation with his closest friends. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by means of me. Speaking as Savior, speaking as Lord, he defined the way as singular. As exclusive in the way, but inclusive of all who will find it, he said, I am the way. All roads do not lead to heaven. Jesus takes us to heaven, and he's come to earth to proclaim that for us. Max Lucado shares again, and you get the idea, I like Max. And the glory of Christmas shares this wonderful account, and I want to read some of this to you. It says this, he saw us before we were born and he loves what he sees. Flooded by emotion, overcome by pride, the star maker turns to us one by one and says, you are my child. I love you dearly. I'm aware that someday you'll turn from me and walk away, but I want you to know I've already provided a way back. And to prove it, he did something extraordinary. Stepping from his throne, he removed his robe of light and wrapped himself in skin, pigmented human skin. The light of the universe entered a dark, wet womb. He whom angels worship nestled himself in the placenta of a peasant, was birthed into the cold night, and then slept on cow's hay. Mary didn't know whether to give him milk or give him praise, but she gave him both since he was, as near as she could figure, hungry and holy. Joseph didn't know whether to call him junior or father, but in the end called him Jesus, since that's what the angel had said, and since he didn't have the faintest idea what to name God, whom he could cradle in his arms. God would say this to us today, you wonder how long my love will last? Find your answer on a splintered cross, on a craggy hill. That's me you see up there, your master, your God, nail-stabbed and bleeding, covered in spit and sin-soaked. That's your sin. I'm feeling. That's your death, I'm dying. That's your resurrection, I'm living. That's how much I love you. We don't need to find another way. God has blazed a path before us and for all people. A third way, sadly, I think people miss the message of Christmas and the gift that God has for us is, well, I'm just really busy and really stressed. Life is full of activities. I'll deal with my eternity later. One of the most sobering experiences I've ever had personally of how faulty that understanding is was in December 2008. We had just celebrated Christmas together as a family, had a wonderful time together of sharing great memories and things that we're thankful for. 
And then suddenly, without warning or expectation, week following the first week in December that year, my brother John, my older brother John, was stricken with a massive heart attack and died instantly. He was taken without warning. Without any preparation on his part or ours. The thing is, John was a fun-loving guy. He was the life of the party. He wanted to get the most out of life, but he didn't have time for God. He didn't have time for Jesus. Well, he knew all about him. My brother and I, both being pastors, had shared plenty of times. We'd prayed for 30-plus years for John. John knew that he couldn't save himself. We'd made sure he understood that. He knew the way to be right with God, though. He knew how to be forgiven. He knew the way to heaven was Jesus. But he had never opened his heart to Jesus as Savior, nor bowed his heart to him as Lord until the last 60 seconds he was breathing on this earth. And we would have never known that he had done that, but who did God put by his side at Federal Express that day, holding his head as he was dying of a heart attack? It was a solid Christian man who shared with him and prayed with him to receive Christ. Sorry, 30 seconds before he died, he accepted Christ. And his face went from terror to total peace. He died in peace because the Savior had come and saved him. Don't put it off, friends. Don't wait to the last second. That was 30 years of praying and sharing. John knew the right thing to do. And given the opportunity, God gave him one more chance. And he accepted. And we'll see him again in glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 captures it this way. We beg you not to toss aside this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says, your cry came to me at a favorable time. When the doors of welcome were wide open, I helped you on a day when salvation was being offered. Right now, God is ready to welcome you. Today, he is ready to save you. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Or as the message puts it, today, please listen. Don't turn a deaf ear. Many of us and many people we know, and I fear and think many will be around in these next couple of days around a Christmas Eve table know the message of Christmas. They know the story. They could recite it to you till they're blue in the face. But they've never opened their hearts to Jesus yet. They don't know they're lost. They don't know they can't find their way back. So many people we know don't look lost. And they don't know they're lost. And they have no idea the danger that they're in. None of us gets a calendar that has a day on it when we're going to meet God. God didn't give us that privilege to know that sort of thing. But friends, there's also modern-day Mary and Marys and Josephs, and I suspect we have a room full of them right here, who said yes to God, who said that simple kind of a prayer that says, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for coming after me. I don't get all the details, but I do see that your heart of love is for me. I want in on this. Here's my heart, Lord, such as it is. Most of us, I suspect, in a room like this now, two days before Christmas, have already prayed that prayer. Many people know about church, the Ten Commandments, and the things of don't know Christ. If you're one of those today, 
Christ is on the outside. You're close. You're around the church, around the things of the church. Family members are Christ followers, but you don't know him personally yet. May I encourage you with one closing thought here out of John's Gospel, chapter 3. It says this, For God so loved the world, that's Bethlehem we're talking about today, that he gave his one and only Son, that's Calvary, where Christ went for us, that whoever believes in him might not perish, that's salvation, but have eternal life. And friends, that's forever. It's never too late and never too soon to respond to God's great invitation. And friends, I want to say this, rephrasing the words of 2 Corinthians, I beg you not to toss aside this marvelous message of God's great kindness. Right now, God is ready to welcome you, and today he is ready to save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing grace that you have demonstrated. You didn't just think about it. You didn't just pray about it and amongst the Trinity muse about it. But God, you came in a most humble and amazing way to save us from ourselves, save us from certain destruction, save us from the things that plague our lives. And today, we invite you to be our Savior afresh. Come into our hearts. Come in to stay. Take up lordship inside of us and help us, Lord. Lead us and guide us and move upon us, we pray. And may, Lord, this day and this Christmas, for many across this room and in our extended families, be that first Christmas where we really know you. Jesus, come into my heart. I pray in your precious name. Amen.